The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are looking at the book of Exodus, and if you, uh, if you haven't been with us before, or we've missed a few weeks, we are at the point of the book of Exodus that is maybe kind of like the most iconic part of the book of Exodus. This is the crossing of the Red Sea, right, where the waters get parted, God's people walk through on dry land. So that's where we are going to be tonight. And so what we're going to do, um, I know we pray a lot, but it's mainly because we need God's help. And I need God's help. So we're going to pray real quick and ask for God to bless us and give us his spirit as we open his word. Father, thank you for the story of Exodus. And we thank you for how you have shown us the gospel in the book of Exodus. And we ask that as we turn here to see the crossing of the Red Sea. We ask that you would lead us, as you've liberated us in Jesus, we ask that you would lead us to worship you in this passage, in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So liberty is one of these main ideas that has a lot of traction for us as Americans. We love to talk about liberty. Liberty is, you know, liberty and justice for all. Liberty is kind of on the minds of everywhere right now. It's uh, written into our constitution, our founding documents as a nation. We, you know, uh, everybody is endowed with these inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And liberty is one of the things we are uh, talking a lot about these days. I'm not going to get into the politics, all, all of that related to liberty, but it is something that we think about. It's in our DNA. It's something that we don't even think about, right? Like if somebody crosses you um, on the highway, you think there should be a law against them cutting me off, right? We, we love our liberty. We love, to, we love freedom. Uh, we just, we're just at the end of Black History Month, right? And one of the main figures for Black History Month is Martin Luther King Jr. And how we Part of what we do with Black History Month is we celebrate um, prominent figures of the African-American community, and uh, certainly Martin Luther uh, King used the book of Exodus in the civil rights movement, Let My People Go. It's a main theme of who we are as a country, it's a main theme of how we think, and it's actually liberty is kind of what we're looking at in this passage, not political liberty per se, but we're looking at what does true liberty look like? What does it mean for God to lead his people into liberty, right? That's what we're looking at in this passage because what's been going on in the book of Exodus so far is his people have been oppressed. They've been slaves for 430 years. God uh, raises up Moses. And remember, we talked about how Moses is like the most ill-fitting candidate for the job ever, right? Didn't want the job. And God says, nope, you're my man, I'm going to send you. And he gives Moses a mission to lead his people out. And there's a huge battle between Moses and Pharaoh, which is actually God's invasion in Egypt to save and liberate his people. And so that after the 10th plague where God destroys, uh, kills the firstborn of the, of the people who are not covered by the Passover lamb. He leads out his people on this mission. And so that's where we pick up in our story tonight, right? Everybody is, uh, they've packed up their, uh, their campers and they are leaving Egypt with all the goods and they are on a rah-rah party with God to liberty. 
And so as we are looking at God's story of liberation, as how he, how he is leading his people, I just want to ask, what, what is God leading them towards? And what does that mean for what does it mean for God to liberate us? So I think what we're seeing in this whole passage, so Adam, thank you for re- reading that, this whole passage from Egypt through, through the song that they sing on the other side of the Red Sea, I think what we're seeing is that God liberates his people to praise him. Our liberating God leads us to praise him. And we're going to be seeing how this liberating work of God through the, the Red Sea to save his people, how he leads us, not just them, but he leads us to praise him. And so we're going to be looking at three things here. God liberates us from ourselves. God liberates us from his enemies. And God liberates us to worship him. So we're going to what I'm going to do, because Adam read our passage, we're going to talk about passages in this. I'm not going to go through all that again and read it again. Um, although I will say that the reading of God's word, the reason we devote so much time to reading God's word is because that's the only infallible part of our worship service. So we're going to pick up with them running into God's promises, fleeing Egypt. We're going to pick up, if you're uh, tracking with this, God liberates us from ourselves chapter 13, verse 17 through 14, verse 14, right? So they've been leaving Exodus, and I'm sure everybody here has in their mind a mental map of what Egypt looks like and everywhere around there. But for those of us who don't, here's a bit, uh, do we have a slide of what the, what the uh, trajectory was of where they were going? Maybe. It's just taking a second to load. There we go. This is from the ESV study Bible. <laughs> so what I think is happening is they are leaving Ramses and they are going down and they are leaving right here. And this is where, they are, this is where we're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. So can we go to the next slide here? Because I want to zoom in on that just so you get a sense, right? They're leaving Egypt. This is straight from uh, contemporary Google Maps. So <laughs> ignore the highways. I don't think they had highways back then. But you see, they are, they are leaving Egypt, and yes, Pharaoh is defeated. They're following Moses. They're following God. So they have the pillar of fire, and they have the pillar of cloud, and they are following God into the promised land. And what happens is God, they're, they're following around the top part of this kind of water, body of water, and then God says, no, 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 turn, turn back. And what I think, we don't have the details specifically, but I think where God directs them to is this little horn that kind of pokes out right here which is um, incredibly unstrategic, right? <laughs> right? They, are, they're, they're, they could just go there and, yes, they're free, but God actually redirects them, right? God redirects them into this strategically bad place, right? You could imagine this is, a, if you're imagining a chase scene, this is the moment um, where the car wheel pops off and uh, the, the bad guys... Uh, are pulling out their guns, and they are about to pounce. Right? This is, this is what's happening, right? So the people of Egypt, they are, fl- they are running, and then they see, oh my gosh, Pharaoh, they are coming down upon us, and just as we are like, we could like, just run for it, God redirects us into... <laughs> we're, we're cornered. We're cornered in this back-end spot where there's nowhere to go, right? So... If, if you go up right in there, there's nowhere to go. God is leading them into a situation where God is, God is the only option. Right? God is leading them 
away from Pharaoh and still God has one lesson to teach them because here God has been in the book of Exodus destroying their gods. He's been showing you cannot trust in your idols. You cannot trust in all the things that you would want to trust in. You can't trust in your king. You can't trust in your own power. And ultimately, they need to be liberated from themselves. And so God leads them into the situation where they are cornered. And they are left to trust God or to be destroyed. Right? So we see verses 13 and 14, chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. And the Egyptians whom you see today, right? So they are, they're right there, God. They are about to bear down upon us. The Egyptians that you see, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Right, we, uh, we would expect them after watching God do all these miraculous things to save them from Egypt. We would expect them to trust God a little bit more easily, wouldn't we? <laughs> you, saw, you saw burning fire come down out of the sky to destroy your enemies. You saw him destroy the firstborn of their families and you would expect them to have a little bit more faith, <laughs> right? Like this, they've watched God do the most miraculous things in the history of the world up to this point and here they are trapped and they're like, God's left us, right? God... There's no graves and enough graves in Egypt, so you just brought us out here to dig six feet so we could walk right into it. But this isn't so much different than our own lives. We, we have a similar disposition. We come to Jesus. This is great. Isn't it great to know Jesus? He saved us from our sin. He has freed us from the bondage of our, our shame. And now we get to walk in green pastures with him, right? And then you wake up the next day and you realize you've still got problems. Things aren't as easy as you thought. Um, and lo and behold, you're actually seeing worse things about yourself now, right? Or circumstances get harder. God, who's been faithful to you in the past, circumstances get harder. Suddenly God feels absent. This is not, we don't respond that much differently than they did. We've seen God be faithful to us in the past. And yet things get hard, and we go from panic or go go from peace to panic, right? They go from peace to panic. Verse eight, and the Lord, um, the people were going out defiantly there at the end of verse eight. That's actually it. Literally, just means they're going carefree. <laughs> yeah. And verse ten, then Pharaoh drew near, and the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching down after them, and they feared greatly. Like within the matter of two verses, they're going from carefree. Walking on sunshine. Ah, they're going to kill us. But we do the same thing. I, I, mean, I do this all the time. I, I mean, God, this is so great. You've been so good to me. And then within a matter of hours, my life is horrible. Why is this happening to me? I want to eject. Can I please leave? <laughs> we do this all the time. <clears throat> the reason I think God is leading them in this way, right? He could have led them a different way, but the reason God is leading them this way is to liberate them from themselves. Because the most natural thing for us to do is to trust in ourselves. I say this all the time with our, our boys. Um, they'll do something they shouldn't be doing. I'll talk to them. It's like, buddy, you just can't trust in yourself. You can't trust your own heart. 
God is, God is teaching them this lesson. You cannot trust yourself, right? They could have gone a different direction. And I mean, the reality is that this is Pharaoh and probably 600 of his like Navy SEALs and then his army. And like, I don't know, a million point, 1.2 million Israelites. They probably could have put up a good fight. But God has turned them in a way where they are in a disadvantageous situation. They have to trust in God, which is the most unnatural thing for us to do. We do not like to trust in God, right? We, we think we have better ideas about things. I think I have a better sense of how to run my life. I think I have a better sense. This makes sense. God says to do this. But really, if you knew the options, this makes more sense. It's more natural to trust in ourselves and trust in God. But God's... God's plan, God, the way God does things is he always leads us to trust in him and he will lead our lives so that it's either him or nothing. Right? And that's, that's the way you see it here. We see it in the New Testament where God talks about his, the way he saves us and what he does. 1 Corinthians. Where is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? So these are all the things they could have put a tr- their trust in at the time. Strong, strength, power, might. They've got the job. They've got the education. They've got everything they want. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, right? And the wisdom of this story, God didn't make himself known by using Pharaoh to help release his people. No, Pharaoh's going to be judged. He's not going to, you can't trust in Pharaoh. You can't trust in yourself. Jews demand signs, Greek demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the wisdom of God led them to the situation. God leads you to the situation where you feel like, I, I cannot do this on my own. God leads you in his wisdom to situations where you cannot trust in yourself. You can't do this on your own. We often hear when things get hard, I think our friends will occasionally say, um, God won't give you something more than you can handle. And I just want to say that that's not true. Yeah. That's not true. God, God regularly gives us more than we can handle. That's, that's what we're seeing in this story. God gives them more than they can handle. God gives you more than you can handle because the purposes of God is so that you rest on God. He gives you the grace so that you get grace, you get God and not yourself. (laughs) Thank God. Because I am a wreck. I mean, can you imagine me trying to like help myself get out of a bind? Like God, I can't overcome my anger in this situation. I can't overcome constantly getting angry I mean, this past week, angry beyond belief about something. And somehow I'm supposed to have enough ang- strength to overcome that? <laughs> I'm the one that got myself in the problem in the first place. God will give you things that overcome you. But in God, they will not destroy you. God is giving you the strength, He's giving you the grace. Because what they're doing in this story is they're being led to get God himself and nothing less and nothing more. They will get only God, which is enough. But they're liberated. They're liberated from themselves. And one of the things I just want to, 
I want to point back to verses 13 and 14 because I think one of the ways that we can apply this or we can think, how do we do this, right? What does this, what does this mean? I think one of the major problems of our spiritual lives is that we often listen to ourselves more than talk to ourselves. We listen to our hearts when we say, did you lead us out to the desert to be destroyed? God, where are you? You've left me. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you ever felt, God, this is not, this is not going to work. I can't do this. Uh, why have you done this? Why is this so hard? Right? That's, that's, they have it better than me. Those sort of thoughts. That's us listening to ourselves. Our spiritual problems most often come from listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. And so Moses gives us an example. Moses, they're, they're talking to themselves. They're saying, God, you've left us. You've led us out to the desert to die. And Moses talks to them. You might say he preaches the gospel to them. He tells them the good news of who Jesus is. And he says, verse 13, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which, it, which he will work for you today, for the Egyptians whom you see today, the things that you fear in your life, the sins that won't go today, the weaknesses that perpetually bind you and hold you, the relationships that are not easily healed, the job situation that you wish would be better, the things about yourself that are just weird that you can't overcome, those things that you just wish you were a different person. God says, no, no, no. Don't trust in your assessment of those. Trust in me. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What if, what if this week, when you feel anxious, angry, tired, full of lust, full of greed, desiring something that you don't have, comparing yourself to somebody else, in the pressure cooker, instead of listening to yourself saying, why do I have to go through this? What if you said to yourself, fear not, the Lord is with you. He will fight for you. That doesn't mean you get what you want. No, that's not what we're saying. (laughs) But it does mean that God is with you. It means that God has not forgotten you, that God is with you, and you can watch as God is going to work through you. So you see, God has, God has pinned them in because he's leading them out to praise him and he's going to liberate them from themselves. <clears throat> We're going to pick up here verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 15. God liberates us from his enemies. Right, so here's the situation. They're in this, this horn <clears throat> of the, uh, you know, the land. They're, they're about to be overcome. And so they're like, God, what are we going to do? God, what do we do? The army is coming after us. Remember, these are the Navy SEALs plus Pharaoh plus the army. They're bearing down on them. And God's the fire cloud, they go behind them and uh, they block off the Egyptians. And, um, and then they are led through the Red Sea, which I, you know, I know people are debating whether like, the Bible is literal or not. I think this literally happened. Stop the water. They walk through dry ground. Pharaoh walks in after them, runs in after them. On the other side, Moses, with a staff, the waters come down over them, 
and destroy Pharaoh and his people. Now, I just want to comment. We, we had this mental image of like, what is this pot of fire and smoke? I mean, if you ever grew up watching the Ten Commandments, the movie, you know, it's like American icon now, right? Ten Commandments. Do I have the slide? This is uh, what we kind of tend to imagine uh, that looking like, right? It's like this big cloud of fire and cloud. Like they're supposed to be like super intimidating. I think that they're present and they see them. I'm not sure that, because it doesn't seem like people are like overly aware of them. Like they're there, but they're like defending them. I'm not sure that they're like, like this huge like torrent of fire. I think it kind of like a, a burning uh, dust cloud. I'm not sure. It, it doesn't seem like they factor in a big deal, but they are sufficiently there. Just a bit of a comment, I guess. But what are these pillars? Anyhow. So they're protecting them. They walk through the waters. They're on the other side. And then you can imagine Israel on the other side. They have just watched the waters come down and destroy the people that oppress them. The waters that they walk through, they walk through on dry ground, right? It says it two or three times in our passage. They walk through on dry ground, which is pretty important. Like they just, you're talking about the, the bottom of the ocean, you know, all that silt, all that extra stuff down there, miraculously turned to dry ground. They uh, were worried about what to do, and God, just like for you, God, what am I going to do? I can't do this on my own. He provides the grace to make a way, provides a way through the water. And Pharaoh and their own strength come after his people, and they're destroyed by the water. So, you can imagine the other side of this, right? Here are the people that had oppressed them for so, for, for so long. And these weren't, these weren't just Israelites in terms of like ethnic, um, and ethnic stuff. Remember, we were seeing how there were Egyptians that responded to the ten plagues um, and joined with the people of Israel and were walking out. They were a mixed multitude, right? They were going out. So but you can see, here are the people that had so much power, the power of the age, the people who are in strength and might, who had oppressed them for so long, here they are in a matter of a moment, destroyed. Destroyed by the waters that God has led them through. Destroyed, in fact, by the waters that have um, preserved and kept them clean, right? These people, they walked through the water, but the same water that they walked through blamelessly comes in and destroys the enemies of God. And this is a bit of a pattern that you see in the Bible, the waters of chaos are the waters of judgment. God leads his people out of them. So you see with, with Eden, God creates the water and then out of the water he raises the land for his people to dwell on. You have that with Noah. The water destroys the land and God raises up Noah to save his people. You have it with Egypt here. Re- leading through the waters of chaos and judgment, he leads his people through the waters Save them. Have again at the end of this, at the on, on the other side of the story, going into the promised land. Right, it's actually kind of a repeat of this. Right, stops up the water, led through on dry go- land to the promised land. See it with Jesus. Jesus goes into the water, comes out of the waters of chaos, and he's blessed by the Father. See it in baptism as well. It's a bit of a pattern, right? It's a pattern through the Bible where water is associated with chaos and judgment and just a turning over and turning over and turning over of evil against God. That's why it's an image. There's nothing wrong with water. You get what I'm saying? But it's an image over and over, judgment, just turning over, just croaking against God. And God parts it out 
and lifts up his people from among the chaos. So we see here, in effect, a bit of a baptism of these people. Now, this isn't just kind of Jacob being all like super nerd theology. This is actually in the Bible. It's going to pull out 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So you see there, Moses is the one who leads them through these waters of judgment. The waters that, that, are, that clean them are the waters that judge their enemies. Moses leads them through, so they're, they're effectively baptized into Moses, right? They're, Moses is the one that leads them. They're baptized into, into Moses. They're led into Moses. And so baptism is associating them. They are being baptized into the one that is their leader, their king, the one that saves them. And so, when we get to baptism in the New Testament, right for us, New Baptism today, what happens? Baptism is a declaration of our allegiance to King Jesus, who leads us through the waters of judgment. God's judgment for our sins that should destroy us. God in Jesus, the Passover lamb, who's taken the judgment for us, right? There's no difference for the Egyptians between them and the Egyptians. They both had to be judged. The lamb took the judgment for the Israelites, the Egyptians who did not trust God, received the waters of judgment. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For he died, for the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must not consider yourselves dead to sin. Now consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Take it the right path. I skipped ahead. Chapter 6, verse 1. What do we say then? If we continue to sin, that grace may abound by no means. For you died to sin, you might live in it. Do you not know that all, all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him, therefore, his, by his baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, he too, we too might walk in newness of life. So we're baptized. When we, when we practice baptism today, we baptize people who've trusted in Christ, baptize them because they have died to their sin, they've died to the power of the enemy that would destroy them, their sin, our sin, that would destroy us. We're recognizing we have died with Christ and we're baptized, put down into the waters that we died in with Christ, and then raised up out of the baptism waters with Christ in the newness of life, right? So you see the pattern here, right? Out of the waters of judgment, we're led through by Jesus so that when we trust in him, the waters of judgment no longer define us. They actually are a symbol of God's deliverance in our lives. He liberates us in Jesus. He liberates us from his enemies because his greatest enemies, his greatest enemy was our sin. And we, decide, we, we deserved his judgment. And in the Passover land, we've been passed over in judgment. And then in, in baptism, we, we profess that we have been passed through the judgment waters. And so, if you are in Christ, we'd love to baptize you. <laughs> it's easy application. What do we do with this passage? If you're in Christ, be baptized. Uh, we're not going to do it tonight in the Merrimack River. Be a bit cold. We'd love to baptize you. This summer, we'll do some baptisms. How about that? We're going we're gonna to walk through the waters that should destroy us. 
recognizing that in Christ, we now have the power of God fighting for us, right? In God, what, we, what he's saying here is he's delivering them from their enemies. And he is saying the power that they had no longer has control over you. In Christ, the power of God is at your disposal to conquer Satan, sin, and death in your life. That is what we are professing when we believe the gospel. We believe that God is the power we need, not ourselves, right? We're dying to ourselves. But the power of sin no longer has control over us. So we can walk in holiness. We can grow in Jesus. We can put sin to death. We can walk in God's power to please him and know him. That is the power that God is giving us in Jesus, that is the power that God is showing us in the story for them. It's the power that God is making available for us in Jesus so that we can be baptized. And not just to do the religious dunking. That's not the deal. But it's so that we can be identified with Jesus and receive God's power in him. But that's not where we leave the story, right? We could have just read this and we could have stopped at the end of the Red Sea, then passing through like, Made it through, our team wins, yay. But actually what happens is they are led through, pick up in chapter 15, right on the shore there, they've led, led through right on the shore, they turn around and they praise, they worship God. So we're going to turn to that. God liberates us from ourselves, God liberates us from his enemies, and God liberates us for worship. So if you're reading this, I could imagine the question, see, this is the God that I've, I've always heard about in the Old Testament, who's mean and angry and vindictive. I want to throw a red flag. Here he is singing over the dead graves of these people. I mean, look at this. How could you worship a God like this, who commends us to worship people dying? Could you imagine that question? I could imagine reading this question with my friends who are not Christians and they turn to this and say, see, this is why I don't believe the Bible. This is why I don't, I don't want to worship with you because you guys are all about this God who has these vindictive songs about people dying. I totally understand that question. But I think what's going on here, I think what's going on here is that we are seeing the culmination, we are seeing the culmination of God's promises and his people responding to seeing those promises fulfilled, right? So chapter 9, verse 16 here in Exodus. What is the promise that God made? But for this purpose I have raised you up. So he's talking to Pharaoh. For this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, right? So God's aim in this whole situation is that his name will be proclaimed and known and enjoyed. And so here on the other side of God. Fulfilling this promise that you will be judged for refusing me. His people see God's promises have been vindicated. God has been proven right. God has been shown to be true. His promises, right, in this whole story, right, they were boxed into this little peninsula. They were like boxed in. God, God had effectively boxed himself in so that either his promises were true or they weren't. God was believed or not. And they see God's promises are true. I'm going to praise him for it. I'm going to praise God because he has shown himself to be true. He has vindicated his name, right? We're not, we're not celebrating, ha ha, you died. <laughs> they are celebrating God has proven himself to be true against all odds, against the mightiest nation in the world. 
who is of our oppressors and has our thumb pressing down on us. God has swooped in and delivered us. And he's not only just kind of like delivered us in a haphazard way, we are left with God and God alone. We are on the other side of the Red Sea with God himself. We get God. That is where this is going. That, that's why they're responding in praise, right? So this isn't, this isn't like a big, aha, I told you so. Told you God was going to fulfill it. No, this isn't God. God doing a big kind of told you so. Told you so. This is where we are celebrating that God is true and he's proven it. God is true and he's proven it. Which is one of the reasons why we come together every week. God is true in our lives. And he's proven it. <laughs> and we just want to respond to who he is. God, thank you. God, you, you've proven it this week. I, I may have fainting, weak faith. And I might come in doubting your goodness. But yet again, week after week, you're proven true. You've proven it in my life. And God, I want to praise you for it. And I want these words that I sing, I want them to shape my heart. Right? This is one of the reasons we praise. Because when we don't believe it, we want to sing it so that our hearts are shaped after it. And I find it fascinating that, I don't know what your view of God is, but I find it fascinating that here God has saved them and the first thing that he leads them into is singing. It's not your to-do list, here's your Christian shirt, and now go do these 20 things. It's not, here's your Christian shirt and here's the best parenting book because you're a horrible parent. This is, here's your Christian shirt and um, here's how to work, right? Because um, we all know that you're failing at your job and here's how to do a better job at your work. Well, we can talk about parenting and how to honor God with your work, all that stuff. But what God leads them to, he liberates them. As he's liberating them, he's leading them into worship. The first thing that they do this is why we're going to sing after this. Behold our God. We have been saved from our sin and our shame and our judgment. All the things, right? None of us belong together. But we've all been saved and brought together by Jesus. And the first thing we do is we don't start analyzing each other and thinking, man, you guys have really got to get it together. The first thing we do is we say, look at this God that has saved us. Look at who he is. Can you delight in him with me? Let me tell you about how he saved me and the goodness of what he's done in my life this past week. Let me tell you about the promises I think God is working in your life. Let me tell you about who he is and what he's doing in our lives together. Let's, if we just praise him and enjoy him, that's what they are led into. <laughs> I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, those who have oppressed me, Satan, sin, and death in your life, he has thrown into the sea. He has conquered them. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Do you notice that this is not, he has become salvation. He has become my salvation. God has become my personal, my personal salvation. And I, what we're saying here is that God himself, when you cling to Jesus, you get God, you, he is, his salvation is personal to you, right? It's not just kind of like this historical event that happened in 33 AD in a little hill outside of Jerusalem. This is for you. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt in him. 
This is the God that we get. I will exalt in him, right? He is not just a God to be, to be seen and oh, he's a good looking God. I will exalt in him. I will cherish him in my soul. I will delight in him because he has done things. He has changed my heart that is dead and clay and just, ugh. And he has led me into his free, gracious salvation that he comes down and kisses me with. He comes close to me and he changes my heart like a surgeon, new heart, comes close and changes me. So that verse 17 and 18, Lord, you will bring me in, you will bring them in and plant them in your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever. Right, so here we are again, talking about rivers and waters and mountains. And God is leading them up to the mountain where he is going to reveal himself. He intends to reveal himself to be known as, his, as their God and his people. This mountain that is the earth jetting up and the heaven coming down. This mountain where God will reveal his name, where he will show them who he is. This is where God is going to sit down. Later in the Bible, it will talk about God will sit down with them on a mountain, sit down with us on a mountain, and consume the cup of death and destroy death's power forever. This is pointing towards the mountain where God reveals his name most clearly, the little mountain outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus walks up and takes all of our judgment and shame and guilt and dies before the wrath of a holy God so that we can sit down and enjoy the presence of this God with us. He leads us, leads us to himself because he will destroy our enemies. He's destroyed them in Jesus on the cross and we finally show it at the last day. Which I think, I just want to revisit this water thing and we'll close with this. God is leading us to know him and to worship him and enjoy his presence with us. And so on the last day, I just want to turn to Revelation 21. And I'm going to point out something that's a bit odd. And I hope you'll hear the echo of Exodus in this. Chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, right? Like a mountain, heaven meeting earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What is up with there being no more sea? The judgment and God's enemies, right? This isn't, a, this isn't a comment about H2O. This is a comment about God's enemies. All the enemies of your life, sin, the stuff that just won't go away, the weaknesses, the injustices that have been done against you, the pain, the struggle, all of that, just keep churning over, keep churning over. We keep churning over in our heads. They will have passed away and there will be no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. All the enemies of our lives. And I'm not talking about the real. I'm not, I'm not saying like your frenemies or the people on Facebook that you want to comment on their post. I'm talking about the real true enemies. Sin, weaknesses, the injustices. God looks at them and he is delivering you from them. He has delivered you from the power of them in Jesus. They no longer define you. And he will wipe them away at the last day where he leads you into his presence, where he leads you near to himself, where we see him with the glory of eyes that we can't even imagine. Can you imagine seeing the glory of God without sunglasses on? Just the, just the glory of God burning away at your face and seeing him come down close to you. All the tears you've cried in private. All the ways that you've yearned for God to change your life. All the ways in which you wish that somebody would know the pain that you're walking through. God is coming close to us in Jesus now and personally at the end. To be near to us, to lead us to see who he is, to enjoy him and praise him. This is the liberation that God offers. Right? This isn't just some political thing. This is true reality. God is leading us to worship him because God alone, God alone will satisfy us. Our liberating God leads us to praise him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then we're going to praise him. Father in heaven, we thank you for leaving us, not leaving us alone and leading us to Jesus. We ask that by your spirit that we would taste and see that you are good, that we would enjoy your nearness with us. God, would you birth hope afresh in us? Would you birth faith afresh in us? Would you birth tastes and joys in you afresh because you're near with us? Thank you for leading us to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.